0: I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to episode 130 of the All About Fitness Podcast. Before I get into the formal introduction for this episode's guest, I want to say a quick thank you to Patrick and Chelsea who sent very kind notes to me on Instagram. I really am glad you guys heard those those episodes. Thank you for becoming fans of All About Fitness. And more importantly, thank you for spreading the word of All About Fitness to the people in your social media, in your social media sphere of influence. Now, today's guest, one of the things I enjoy about this podcast. I like being wrong sometimes. You heard Mike Boyle. You heard Coach Boyle and I talk about that a few episodes ago, is it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to realize, you know what? There could be a better way. There could be a different way of looking at this. And that's exactly what today's guest did or or this episode's guest did in our conversation was I had a preconceived notion going into the conversation that evolved throughout the conversation and is now in the process of changing. And that's about group fitness. If you've been to a health club, you know about group fitness. There's that class. Maybe you love group fitness. Maybe you're one of those people that always kind of looks and go, oh, "What are they doing in there?" But group fitness drives a health club. A good group fitness program makes all the difference in the world. People love going to group classes. People love going to a class where an instructor tells them what to do, and all they got to do all they got to do is do the exercises. I said a lot of "dos" in there, but group exercise has a huge influence on the whole on the whole health club experience. Some clubs do a phenomenal job of operating a group fitness program. I'm an instructor with Equinox. Equinox has one of the top group fitness programs in the industry. And we put a lot of work into being good coaches and instructors so we can give you safe and effective workouts. Now, I'm what's called a freestyle instructor, meaning that I design my own classes. Today's guest, Bryce Hastings, is a director of research for Les Mills. Les Mills is a company based out of New Zealand, and Bryce goes into the history of Les Mills, but Les Mills has what's called pre-formatted group fitness classes. As an instructor, as a freestyle instructor, I create my own class. I teach my own class. Pre-formatted classes like Les Mills mean I learn their plays. I learn their exercise program, and I teach and deliver their exercise program. I'm going to go into some details on that. I'm going to go into some nuances in the post-show conversation, so I'm going to table that for right now. But in our conversation today, Bryce talks about what goes into the process of developing a Les Mills group fitness format. They're very systematic about it. One of the things I greatly respect about Les Mills is they collect the data. They use the data to drive their decision making. A lot of times that's not done in the fitness industry. So, well, we feel this way. We want to do this. We want to do that. But Les Mills is about let's uh, study, let's test, let's study, let's test, and let's see what works. Let's get the data, let's get the numbers to make sure it works. So if you ever wanted to know how Les Mills designs programs, if you ever want to know just in general how group fitness programs get designed, you're going to love the conversation with Bryce Hastings. This is a very interesting conversation because I learned a lot about the process about how Les Mills designs programs. After a brief word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, Terracore Fitness, and Hyperware, it's really a lot of fun to sit down and get to know Bryce Hastings of Les Mills. Are you looking for a great product that you can use at home or the gym that'll make you stronger, improve your mobility, and help you become more explosive? Check out HyperWear.com, H-Y-P-E-R-W-E-A-R.com, HyperWear.com. They make sandbells, which are neoprene sandbags, and softbells, which are sandbags that allow you to convert them into dumbbells, barbells, and a kettlebell. Besides the sandbells and the softbells, HyperWear also makes the vest. These products are very small. They're easy to take care of. They're easy to own. They're very affordable. You can use them at home. You can take them with you to your favorite fitness facility, and they deliver results. I've been a big fan of Hyperwear products for going on about a decade here. That's why it's an honor to have them sponsor All About Fitness. Hyperwear.com. Use code AAF10. That's AAF10 to save 10% on the purchase of SoftBells, SandBells, or the Hyperwear Vest. The TerraCore can be a bench, it can be an agility tool, it can even be a weight. The TerraCore is a completely new product that can help you get results either at home or in the gym. With the TerraCore, every muscle gets involved. Anytime you use more muscles, you expend more energy. Standing on an unstable or variable environment, like the air bladder of a TerraCore, means your body has to work just a little bit harder to make stability. Go to TerraCore Fitness, that's T-E-R-R-A, corefitness.com. You can check below in the show notes for the website... Go to TerraCoreFitness.com, see what it's all about. You can use code AAF10, that's AAF10, to save 10% on the purchase of a TerraCore. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness. Today I'm speaking with somebody that might sound a little funny. It's not your radio. He's from a different part of the world. Bryce, can you give us just a brief little intro? Because I think you probably have one of the cooler jobs. One of the things I love about this podcast is I talk to people that do some really cool stuff. And I think you have the one the cooler jobs that we're going to have on the podcast anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I love my job. I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world, so I agree with that. Uh, and by the way, I'm from New Zealand, so if I sound funny, it's the New Zealand thing going on. Um, yeah, so my role w- is with Les Mills International. Uh, we create group fitness programs. And my role is to oversee the creation of those programs, make sure they're safe, make sure they're delivering on the exercise promise of that class, whether it's high-intensity training, whether it's cardiovascular, moderate-vigorous cardiovascular training, strength training, whatever it is. Um, So we test them and make sure that they're delivering on those promises uh, and also get to have a look at the very broad field of exercise and group fitness in particular and and find ways of measuring efficacy. Like, are we really delivering, A, the best experience for people, uh, and B, delivering the results that they're really after? So I get to look at a whole range of things and put them to the test and work with some fantastic researchers and, you know, really create some cool information and and, uh, some education around that.
0: Well, and I want to I be perfectly clear. I have known about Les Mills for about maybe 20 years. I think it was when I first saw Body Pump. And when I want to kind of have you give a little brief, brief rundown of, of the history of Les Mills in a minute. Mm-hmm. But, but I've always been a freestyle instructor. And so for people that might not be in the know, Les Mills develops an, pre-choreographed mm-hmm. programs. You guys put the format together. And what instructors yep. do is if I were teaching Les Mills program, I teach it exactly the way they want me to teach it. I take mm-hmm. the recipe and I recreate the recipe the way they mm-hmm. want, which I think is phenomenal. I think that's an excellent way to give people consistent workouts. And what Les Mills is known for is you guys are data geeks. So generally, mm-hmm. in the, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you a little background here, so I apologize, Bryce. But okay. what most people don't realize is when you go into a health club, usually you have an aerobics manager or group fitness managers, as that are now called. And that group fitness manager, more or less, and you can agree with this, is probably the most popular instructor at that club. And Mm -hmm. so they take the most popular instructor and they elevate. And so the most popular instructor will then put himself or herself all over the schedule because they're the best instructor. And you don't have any way to track, is this having any benefits? So first, let's talk about, because what Les Mills does really well is understand the metrics of the role that group fitness plays in a club. So talk about that a little bit, Bryce. How, How important is group fitness in a club environment? And why is it necessary to understand the data around that?
1: Well, uh, like I, I think we're obsessed by attendance. Weekly attendance, that's kind of the thing that we just drive ourselves to improve. both in our So we've got 12 clubs in New Zealand. So we test a lot of this stuff in our home base. Um, and we are absolutely obsessed by weekly attendance because we know that if somebody exercises or attends a health facility less than twice a week, and I think the average in the US, it's kind of depending on which figures you read, it's between 1.6, maybe 1.9 times a week. As soon as they move over twice a week, you're likely to have them as a member for between two to five years. Up to that point, less than two and they're probably going to cancel their membership for around a year. So they're going to you're going to have them for about a year. So as soon as you get them above twice a week, their their retention and having them as a client that you can really start to make some inroads with starts to change. So let's go kind of back to our sort of data obsession. So we're obsessed by creating an experience that people want to do again. So whenever we create a program, we are putting, trying to put the right music, with the right moves, with the right instruction, and having the instructor have the right ability to generate an experience that that person wants to come back and do again. So that's kind of where we always start. We kind of so that that's our promise to club partners that we work with is that we're going to do our best so that when people come to group fitness. Uh, they're going to have that type of experience. And we also know that people do better in socially assisted exercise. People like to exercise with other people. Exercising on your own is pretty tough. It's only kind of for people who are probably fanatical about exercise that they're willing to do that. But you put people in groups, use the group effect, use the social environment, create the right experience and the right results from that, and now you're going to hook people in. So we see group fitness as a great way of improving attendance getting people to visit clubs more often and therefore if they're going to visit more often they're going to keep their membership and exercise for longer so yeah, you know, in a nutshell that's kind of what drives us
0: well and that's one thing i really respect about what you guys what your company has brought to the industry is when you look at a lot of club operators and you know you guys got to battle this all the time group fitness generally does not generate revenue Group fitness is that club operators look at this as an expense hole, meaning I got to pay these instructors how much money. And, you know, they don't realize that a good instructor teaching a body pump program is touching 50 people in one hour. How mm-hmm. many people can a treadmill touch? You know, mm-hmm. a treadmill can maybe work with two, maybe three people in an hour With right. anything. And so, what, you know, as someone who's always developed my own programs, I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I don't need that. But from the other standpoint of understanding the business of our business I am in awe of what you guys do in terms of understanding the data because most clubs look at, at, at group X and they don't see where the value is. Yet your data shows the, the club operators that group exercise or group fitness is probably the most valuable resource in the club, correct?
1: Yeah, I think from an experience perspective, you, know, you walk through a lot of uh, gym floors where people are kind of doing individual exercise, and they kind of look like they're in a science experiment. It just doesn't look like there's a lot of enjoyment going along there, but you go into the group fitness studio, and there's an experience. Like There's actually something that's happening, interaction with other people, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I'll, I'll challenge that it's not revenue generating, because retention is revenue. Retention is revenue. So if you're keeping members, you're not having to scramble around trying to replace them. And we know we leave... Fifty percent in the industry after they embark on a fitness journey, we lose fifty percent of them in six months' time, so we're not doing great in that space the the retention figures aren't flattering in the fitness industry
0: no, they're um, not but that's but to say it, that's why I love the fact that you guys collect that data to show a club operator, hey, you're investing in our programs, look at your your group fitness programming is the most popular aspect of the club
1: yeah. That's how we see it as well. And when we design clubs in New Zealand now, our um, latest club, I think we've devoted 60% of the club floor space to group fitness. So the 60% is taken up by group fitness studios or socially assisted exercise space. So that's kind of how we see you know, the, how, how to run a successful club. It's, it's a great – Uh, you know it's a great approach for clubs to take because you know it drives attendance it gives people a better experience you kind of get to use your rock star instructors and yeah your club just hums along
0: well just people come to group because they have fun and that's and that's the crux of it and i don't think listeners might realize you said you have how many clubs in new zealand i don't think we have 12 you have 12 what's the history how did les mills start i mean where was where's the evolution of, of of the programming
1: So Les Mills himself uh, was uh, a guy who was a shot putter in New Zealand. He competed in the uh, Commonwealth Games. Um, So he was a top athlete, and he set up his own club in uh, Auckland in New Zealand, which is the biggest city in New Zealand, in 1963. Um, So – sorry, it's 1968 because we just turned 50, so it was 1968. And it was a small club. It was – you know, uh, pushed for space. Uh, they had to have different days for males and females because we couldn't kind of get them all in the same space at the same time. Um, and then his son, Philip, uh, came over to the U.S. In, uh, for, to, for his university education. He went to UCLA and he kind of discovered this thing, this jazzegetics thing that was going on in the U.S. at that time. And he went back to his dad and he said, like, we've got to get this stuff happening in our club. So he, he brought jazzegetics to New Zealand. And then I believe this is true. Like I haven't actually verified this with Philip himself, but Philip is now the CEO of the company. And one one night he had a dream that people d- took a jazzedetics approach to resistance training. So they they actually started lifting weights while they while they do, um, to music, and they're actually doing weight training the same with the same sort of model as they were doing Jazzogenetics. So he he started this concept and that was the evolution of body pump. Over that period of time, we opened more clubs throughout New Zealand and we found a way of systemizing the training and the delivery of those programs to work across all of our clubs. Um, and we had to kind of create a, a delivery system and an education system to kinda of, and an infrastructure to support that. And then um, there was a guy from Australia came over to New Zealand, a guy named Bill Roberts, and he said, I've got clubs in Australia, and I see what you're doing with your clubs here. Can I actually take this model to Australia And, uh, you know, Philip hadn't thought of that before. And he said, yeah, you can. We we create all the systems for our clubs here anyway. And that was the start of Les Mills International. Then we had an Australia distribution. um, Then we ended up with distribution all over the world. And now we're in over 80 countries. We have, you know, close to 20,000 licensed clubs around the world who all use the programming that we create uh, in New Zealand.
0: Well, and I'll talk, I'll have you go through your programming in a second here, Bryce. But just from somebody who travels internationally and before i hit record we're both you know bryce and i we, we missed each other in shanghai earlier this year but one of the things about when you do work at our level you do travel around the world and i have to say that no matter where i've been in La- i was in latin america this year in asia in, in europe a little bit les mills programs are always extremely popular because they get people moving what are some of your programs and you mentioned body Pump, and what are some of the other programs that you, you guys have
1: So we have um, cycling programs. We've got um, Sprint, which is a high-intensity interval training cycle program that's 30 minutes long. We have our uh, RPM program, which is probably our oldest cycle program, um, which is a 45-minute program, sort of in that moderate to vigorous training category. And then we have Les Mills The Trip, which is an immersive cycling experience using video technology, video walls, uh, uh, like big video walls in front of the cycle studio where people ride through this computer graphic generated landscape so and the, and it's the landscape the digital aspect of it that drives the workout which is you know phenomenal so you know that's the links we're now going to kind of create the right sort of experience um so there are our cycling programs we have dance programs we have body jam and shabam we have the the classic sort of programs like your body step which is a step program body attack which is an aerobics program we have body combat which is a martial arts program Uh, We have Les Mills Tone, which is kind of targeting younger females. Um, We have Les Mills Grit, which is high-intensity interval training programs, 30 minutes long. There's a cardio version, which is just body weight. There's a strength version where you use weights. And there's an athletic version where you use a step bench and uh, kind of jump around the bench. Uh, We have Born to Move programs for kids. um, And we have Body Balance, Body Flow, it's called in in the U.S. Uh, That's a yoga, Pilates, fusion-type program. Um, and I've probably forgotten some,
0: but well, uh, I, I think yeah. just from, from having reviewed your stuff and, and, and knowing, you know, over the years, I think you hit them all. Now, what, what, do you, what tends to be, I think my understanding is body pump tends to still be the most popular, but what tends to be the more popular programs and why do you think that is?
1: Uh, yeah, body pump does really well. I think, um, Uh, it's a really successful formula. We got the model right really early on, and we really haven't changed the model uh, a lot since we originated Body Pump. although we now have a 45-minute version, which is fantastic. We combine the biceps and triceps tracks and the lunges and shoulders tracks, so they kind of become hybrid, so you're kind of doing all those within one track, Um, and that's become really popular. But I think, uh, yeah, the success of Body Pump is just getting the right formula of the right combination of movements, the right level of repetitions. You're doing over 800 reps in a, in a Body Pump class, so we really changed the resistance training model. Um, in the days where we launched Body Pump, we came to the U.S. with it in 1997, and it was still that kind of three sets of, you know, 12 to 50, uh, so 8 to 12 repetitions to get hypertrophy. That was the only kind of resistance training approach in those days. And this was a, a high-volume, low-resistance low, low resistance model. So you're doing like 100 squats in the squat track. So you're using much lighter weights, but you're doing higher, much higher repetitions. And you're doing it to music, and it's a verse-chorus model. And it just really started to resonate with people who were not willing to go into the gym and lift pin-loaded equipment. They wanted to do weights. They saw the value in doing weights. They saw the results from doing weights, but they didn't want to do the traditional model. And of course, now with uh, some of the research from Bird and various people, they've realized that it's not load that causes the changes from resistance training. It's fatigue. And so we can generate similar levels of fatigue in a body pump workout that you can actually get by the end of a set in the, in the the in the weights room. And that's Probably led to the the success of the program, the results that people get, and um, you know we've measured things like does it in- influence bone density? Because all the bone density research was done on heavy weights, mm. and here we were with this model where people were lifting lighter weights to fatigue, so and we just didn't know if that was enough to create the the osteoblast activity to improve bone density. So we measured it. We did a uh, study out of Penn State University with Dr. Ginger Gotchall down there. Who heads up a research lab for us? And um, yeah, sure enough, we saw changes in bone density. So, you know, we, we, I think we we shifted the model. We challenged the current model, and now a lot of that, a lot of the latest research is actually pointing to the fact that yeah, we were onto something. It's you, you didn't need the heavy weights. You could actually do it the same thing with with lighter weights.
0: No, and I think that's been pretty. Because you're right. I mean, for listeners, what he's talking about is in the last three or four years, there's been some studies that have come out that've been published peer-reviewed studies that have kind of flipped what we usually thought because we thought that for years you had to use a heavy load in order to initiate muscle growth but this new research is showing that it's not the load it's the going to the point of muscle fatigue so in a Mm -hmm. class like like body pump it means you don't have to use a heavy weight as long as you achieve fatigue you know by the end of the set i mean and it's funny because you guys were on top of that without even realizing the science
1: yeah, yeah. We, we created the program because it felt good to train that way. But the guys, the, our creative guys who put the programs together, they love training. And they will not put together a program that they wouldn't do themselves and get results from. So we always had that behind us. Uh, it was kind of later on that we sort of caught up and sort of said, well, let's start measuring what's really going on here. Uh, recently, we've done another study on body pump where we measured the same amount of calories burnt in body pump uh, to the same amount of calories on a steady-state bike workout. So say you're burning you know, 400 calories in body pump over 55 minutes. We got people to do body pump for 55 minutes and then put them on a bike Couple of days later, and they cycled for 55 minutes, and burnt exactly the same amount of calories, and then we had a look at their hormonal response after the two workouts. And your growth hormone response after a body pump workout was much, much higher than the calorie match st- steady state workout. So there's things that happen when you do resistance training in that kind of environment um, that just spark different physiological responses. So you know, it, a lot of people would think all calories burnt. Are the same but they're not you know like you so you can burn calories doing body pump you have a quite a different response to what you do when you're on a steady-state bike so we're now starting to capture the mechanisms behind this that have kind of been generating a, a lot of the results we've been seeing over the years
0: and now this is only the second conversation we've had Bryce but I'm ready to give you a big bro hug because you're <laughs> talking about I mean what a lot of people don't realize is it's if you really want to initiate change in the body you have to understand which hormones you're activating with exercise because right. doing too much cardio creates a catabolic response, meaning mm-hmm. doing if you yeah, can, cardio can be great for you, running is great for you, but too <clears> much <throat> of it, you could get a result in your body where your body is actually using protein for fuel instead of using protein for muscle repair or to repair damaged tissue. And what, what Bryce is talking about, talk about the role, if you do a workout program like Body Pump that promotes growth hormone, what are the benefits of growth hormone? How does growth hormone impact the body?
1: So, so growth hormone is your—it's your fat oxidizer, and it helps you develop lean muscle tissue. So, it helps you. It- Sometimes I describe it as it gives you somewhere to put all the energy from your donut. You know, like if, if you if you, you can either put it in your liver or you can put it in some muscles. And if I had to choose, I'd be wanting to put it in my muscles. So it, it it helps you build lean tissue, build muscle, and muscle we know helps you to control weight over a long period of time. And it it helps you do kind of all of your other exercise better. So if you're getting a good growth hormone response after a workout, and it might not be a high calorie burn the growth hormone response is something that's going to change your body over a longer period of time and actually give you some of those body composition changes that you're after that you might not necessarily get from a cardio workout.
0: And the important thing that for for listeners, it doesn't, it's not really age related, is it? Because the important thing is strength training will initiate a growth hormone, like higher growth hormone levels. From what I've seen in some of the studies I've read from people in their 50s, 60s and above, it's not so much your age, it's the exercise input. Because isn't it important that as we get older, isn't it important that we think of exercise as a way to kind of change the physiology of our body?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know about you, but you know, as guys who have been in the industry for you know twenty, thirty years, I think we all look quite young.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I look around. And I'm like, I, and that's one thing I've been noticing. I'm looking around. I see people that I, I'm like, I'm like, wait, when'd you graduate college? Because I know yeah. I graduated. You know, I graduated high school in 1990, and college in 1994. And I recently, so I'm, I'm 46, and recently I went back to my, my university homecoming, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, wow, some of my friends look old. You know, because I'm yeah, used to being around, right. like every weekend, I'm used to being around fitness people, you know, and yeah. fitness people in their 40s and 50s don't look that old. I was with a bunch yeah. of my college classmates and fraternity brothers. I'm looking around going, Oh crap I you yeah. I, I know I'm in good shape or you all look old, yeah. so yeah you know that's an important thing about about, about aging now let's switch gears because one of the more popular programs I think recently has been grit and talk about mm-hmm. what grit is and, and, and why you guys created that.
1: So we decided to go down the high intensity interval training route. It became really popular. Uh, I think you know for years people were in the fat burning zone, so they were you know basically on treadmills reading magazines and doing very little. Um, but because they were classified as being in the fat burning zone, they were happy. Um, and then I think we kind of saw the pendulum swing well, well, and goes. Let me pause, oh, well, well,
0: let me pause one <laughs> second. Let me pause one <laughs> yeah. second. Technically, okay. you, myself, and whoever's listening to this right now, even sitting in your car, if you're sitting in your car listening to this, are they not in the fat burning zone?
1: <laughs> yeah, they are in the fat boot, So <laughs> That's the whole secret. You'd have to do very little. Uh, you know, and of course, the overall calorie expenditure was so low that they actually n- never made any change to their body composition. Anyway, so, the, you know, the pendulum swung and said, so, okay, well, we can't keep doing this. It's not working. So, uh, you know, and then we started looking at these higher intensities, which athletes had been doing for years. You know, high intensity interval training had been a way to improve your VO2 really fast and improve sports performance for a really long time. And we had things like fartlek training and, you know, the Eastern Block approach to int- interval training, etc., So, you know, the industry caught up on that. And so, you know, um, high intensity interval training came along. We thought, yep, we've got our moderate to vigorous programs, a lot of those ones that I described before, uh, that kind of have you in your 60 to 85% training zone in terms of maximum heart rate. And we thought, well, if we're going to go into this high intensity zone, we need to create a different, completely different training profile with these programs. So we were looking at something that was pushing people into a spike of uh, intensity above 85%. As many times as we can across 30 minutes, um, and often getting up into the 90 95% zone, and uh, so we created programs that were 30 minutes long. They had a five minute warm up and a five minute core workout at the end, which was kind of acted as a cool down. So for 20 of the 30 minutes, we wanted to keep people above 85% heart rate and spike them up and down. And the spikes are really the key part um, because. To get a true hit response, you need to kind of spike up really fast and then come plummeting down again and spike up again. If you go up there and try and hold it, you're very quickly going to get into a steady state response. So your, your overall intensity is going to start to drop down. So we designed the programs this way. We had three versions of delivering that. We had a strength version, a cardio version with just body body weight and a plyometric version, which we now call athletic, where you're jumping over boxes. And um, we tested the programs when we thought we had them right. We took them again to Penn State University, to Dr. Ginger Gottschall's lab. Uh, We put them through the test and say, what are the profiles we're getting? We were happy with the profiles. They were spiking much higher than all our other workouts. Um, So that was our approach to creating our grit classes. And now we've published four articles on Les Mills Grit where we've you know, take an active adults through this these high intensity interval training workouts, and map the response that they get. And um, generally, what we do is we take people who are already training for five week uh, five five hours a week, and then we take one of their cardio sessions away, and substitute that cardio session with two grit workouts, which are thirty minutes long, um, in that week. You know, separated throughout the week, and we think that two 30 minute high intensity interval training workouts across a week is the sweet spot. Um, where if you inject those two workouts into your week, then you start to see almost double or three times your training benefit than if you just carried on in your moderate to vigorous um, training zones with some resistance training, kind of similar to the ACSM guidelines. Inject two of those workouts in there, and things just start to go crazy. And I mean, stop me if, if I'm talking too long, but um, you know, I think one of the mechanisms that, that happened here it was described really well by Martin Jabala, a great researcher in this area, where he describes it as what's happening in your body as flying a 747 with a plane load of passengers behind you, and you're in the cockpit, and you're the pilot, and suddenly you see the fuel gauge dropping really fast. You see this needle kind of dropping drastically and you think, okay, I've got to scramble here. I've got to find a solution to this really fast. Otherwise this is going to be chaos for all these people behind me. Uh, and that's what happens to your body with those really sharp spikes, those big spikes up and down. It's a it, you, you, sudden depletion of glycogen puts the body into scramble mode. And as a result of going into that scramble mode, you get all these changes that you just don't get from that moderate to vigorous or those steady state workouts. Um, so yeah, we uh, and we test every one of our releases at Penn state to make sure that you were getting that same training profile every time we release, um, a new workout.
0: Well, I'm gonna come back to that in a second, but I love the fact that you referred to Dr. Gabala, you know, just now, because anytime I hear somebody talk about hit, I, I think back to his work and his most recent book on the one minute workout. actually <clears throat> I had him on the podcast about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago. And for right. listeners Marty, Marty Gabal has been studying hit for years, but looking at it from a health from a health issue, not athletic, but from health mm. and overall wellness. And what his research is showing time after time after time is that it's the intensity, not duration, that makes the biggest difference. And just last month in the in the journal Strength and Conditioning Research, a study came out. And I wish I could remember the school, but they had three groups. They had a control group which did nothing. They had a group which did steady state running on a treadmill for 30 minutes, and then they had a group that did a four-minute bodyweight Tabata workout, like burpees, mountain climbers, and one or two other things. So you either did nothing, you either ran on the treadmill for 30 minutes three times a week, or you did three Tabata workouts, only for four minutes. So you did 12 minutes, 90 minutes, or nothing. And what they mm-hmm. found were the people doing the Tabata workouts, only one four-minute workout over the course of 16 weeks had better results overall than the people running on the treadmill. So these were people over the course of sixteen weeks, Bryce, that were exercising twelve minutes a week versus people exercising ninety minutes a week, and the people exercising twelve got better results. Now, mm-hmm. even though we have reams of data, and your your job as your technical director, right, or director mm-hmm. of research, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, research, yeah,
0: your job is to understand it. You know this, but how hard is it? The psychology of the average person, whether in New Zealand, U.S., U- Europe. The psychology is that more tends to be better. How can we – have people that have been coming to GRIT, do they understand that? And has that been changing their, their approach to HIT?
1: Yes. I think uh, we, we, we have a couple of problems at both ends that, uh, A, like – we, I mean, I think only sort of less than 20 percent of people are actually meeting the ACSM guide, fitness guidelines. And so for us, the application of HIT is – Um, although it can be a substitute if they're kind of looking at time as being one of their biggest constraints. And this is the part of uh, Gabala's work and part of his approach is saying, well, we can deliver these really short workouts for people who are using this as their main reason to not exercise and deliver very similar results. Um, We like to think that in the perfect gym world, these people are attending gyms on a regular basis and they get their training history up to a level where they're looking for the next Change in their body composition or their, in their fitness—that's uh, when they apply the HIT approach. So that's kind of generally the group we have. One of the problems we have is that people then start to get—they just love the HIT workouts and they ditch all their moderate to vigorous stuff. And we've got fifty years of research showing us what moderate to vigorous exercise does, and it's really good for you. And we actually have new data that we uh, that Dr. Gottschall presented at the ACSM conference recently this this year where she showed what happens when people spend more than 40 minutes per week above 95% of their maximum heart rate. And it's not good. They actually stop producing a cortisol response. So she looked at a, a group of people who were training. I think you had to be training more than eight hours a week to get into the study. And a lot of them were spending quite a lot of time up in these really high zones. And she got them in to do a stress test. And you should have a high spike of cortisol at the end of the stress test. And what she found with the group that were doing too much hit too much stuff in the really top training zones, they could not produce a significant cortisol response, which basically means that cortisol is good in short bursts, really good for you. In fact, it generates a lot of the changes that we see from, from hit training. If you can't produce that cortisol response, you're actually now smashing yourself for very little reward and increasing the potential for injury. And, you know, and basically you're just making yourself really grumpy. Uh, and we, we all know those people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so now we've actually we've, – we've discovered this upper limit, and I think that's a really important part of the HIT conversation. Up until now, the ACSM haven't really produced guidelines that have, have talked about upper limits. They've definitely talked about the you know the minimum guidelines, but we actually now need to probably start talking about the maximum guidelines where this approach actually starts to become too much and and people can actually start to get themselves into issues because they're spending too much time up in those very high zones.
0: That's it's interesting. And for people that, you know, you're listening to us, but we're on Skype and I'm nodding my head as you're saying this, yeah. because it's absolutely the truth is, is you have on one hand, you have people that's hard to get them moving. On the other hand, you have this, this, this group of people that want to go hard, super hard all the time. And what I really like, and we'll shift the conversation in a second here. But what I really like the way you said that, Bryce, was you talked about injecting two hit workouts into the week, meaning, and that's, I've been, I've been giving that advice for years. That especially once you get over the age of 30 or 35, you don't need, at most, you can get away with three hit workouts. Mm-hmm. If you have good nutrition, good sleep, good other habits where I know you're recovering well, I'd feel comfortable with you in your 40s being able to do three hit workouts a week. None more than 30 minutes long, though. Absolutely mm-hmm. none more than 30 minutes long. But if you're busy, if sleep isn't great or whatever, then I would, my recommendation be no more than two hit workouts a week. So what I love and the reason why I'm saying that is, again, we've only had one other conversation I love having a guest on the show that is saying the same thing that I've been saying, but just from a different point of view. So, you know, yeah. that's where, and so how much research goes into, you talk about using the lab with Dr. Godshaw at Penn state, how much research do you do on a program before you get ready to release it to, to the consumers?
1: Yeah, we do a, a lot of, obviously a lot of testing in our, at our main um, sort of facility in New Zealand in Auckland. Um, so we trial for a really long time. We have, a studio and in, in the Les Mills International office that we trial classes, in. and then when we start on very small trials, um, just bringing people in to kind of see how they feel about the workouts and give us feedback. Do we take it up to the club in New Zealand, and we we start it in the we put it in the timetable, often in a not kind of really highly popular slot. We kind of just describe the workout, to see if people were, are interested in the concept, uh, and that that goes on for months and months and months, and then. Um, and when we think we've got it right, we put it sort of into a, a sort of a major timetable slot, and then we start kind of doing the physiological testing. It's not a lot of point doing a lot of the physiological testing until we think we've got the model that that's going to be successful, and then we take the feedback from the testing, and often we publish those results. and I, And I kind of urge anyone listening, like. It, get a university to engage with a program you're providing it's pretty easy to do a test with a control group and kind of see exactly what you're delivering and publish the results because so other people can kind of learn from this and you know we've um, we've got a you know we're pretty happy with our grit model but you can kind of pick up a journal if you go to lesmills.com, forward slash research, you'll find all of our research papers there, and you can kind of actually have a look at the way we test these things and, and and how that kind of then feeds into the development of the programs. And I think just as an industry, we need to be doing more of that. We need to be really transparent as to kind of what we're testing, what we're delivering, and and, and then consumers and instructors and everybody's on the same page, and, and they have a lot of confidence when they come to the workouts.
0: Well, it's funny because you mentioned that. I've talked to a number of researchers. Because the, what we have in the industry is we have something becomes popular, like we'll use CrossFit or or indoor cycling and, and something will become popular because people like it, because it feels good. Well, then mm-hmm. you get the lab coat guys put on their lab coats, that come along, okay, well, why is this working? We understand the basic mechanisms. So mm-hmm. I've talked to a number of researchers on the podcast that admit that in the fitness industry, it's usually the cart, you know, it's usually the horse following the cart, meaning mm-hmm. we understand the research comes along two or three years later to explain, well, here's what's going on, and here's what we know. Here's what we measured in, like, we'll just use CrossFit? Here's what we measured in a CrossFit workout. Here's how mm-hmm. we think it's providing results. So to have you guys test it before you release it is really kind of an abnormal. It's kind of like going on 180 of what, how we normally do things in fitness, where it's kind of like you let the lunatics figure it out first. Then you come along and decide whether or not is that a good thing to be doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we 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 put a lot of stock in our in our testing processes, and uh, you know, if we're delivering a hit workout and we're saying it's hit, we have a responsibility to ensure that it's a hit workout. We know what hit delivers. We've we've there's lots of data and, and studies done on hit, so our programs have to match up to what those studies have suggested happens with that type of training. So, you know, if we're not getting the response, then we've actually got the workout wrong. Um, and it, as I say, it's it's all objective stuff.
0: And and that's sorry.
1: Go ahead. And but in saying that though, remember where we started with this conversation is we start with the experience. We we can't uh, sacrifice the experience just to create the training result. Because if you get the experience wrong, which means the the music and the movement patterns, the instruction. If we're not getting that right, people aren't going to come back might be the best workout in the world, but they're not going to come back and do it again. And that's our big obligation is to try and get people more people exercising more often. So get that formula working together and that's kind of what we we try and achieve. We get all the physiological data happening and making sure that's in the right place, but we still work on that experience and making sure that it's an experience that people want to repeat. And I, I say this a lot when I kind of go around and talk to people in various clubs and organizations is that the majority of people are exercising today because they have to, not because they want to. So our opportunity in the fitness industry is transitioning for them from exercising because they have to to exercising because they want to. And that's all about the experience. And if unless we do that, we're going to keep losing people every six months. So – Going back to kind of to balance that out, then we've got the physiology and the results and everything that we're delivering in the workout, but also creating the experience that they want to repeat.
0: And see, that's important. That is that is. Where why I'm a fan of, of what you're doing, because you are creating that and you're getting people. And it's funny because on my social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, I can always tell when you guys have a new release coming out because all the instructors <laughs> are, are right how much they love it or Ooh, I feel really sore. That really kicked my butt. Let's shift gears here for a second. I want to ask you a little bit about technology. Obviously, technology is playing a a greater and greater role in in what we do in fitness. How does Les Mills incorporate technology into how you approach programming?
1: Yeah, so far, we've only incorporated technology in terms of the experience factor. So I mentioned uh, Les Mills The Trip, which is our immersive cycling workout where you are cycling with this big video wall in front of you and you're cycling through these computer generated landscapes, which guide the workout and, and it's a phenomenal experience so we use technology in that regard um, but interestingly we we've been hesitant to go down the monitoring path with people actually with coaching to training zones and um, heart rate monitoring, we've been a little bit reluctant to do that. We leave that to people who want to do it, but we don't kind of push it at them through our programming and through our coaching. And the reason we do that is because we think that if you drive people into that space too much, they actually miss out on some of the social factors, the music factors, um, the the instructor factor. Uh, all those things that we know improve attendance. Um, so there's a group that love it, um, but we're not convinced that it's a huge group in our class environment. So therefore, we're, we you know it's an individual choice. If you want to do it, if you've got a, a calorie uh, monitor on your wrist, you can kind of look at the calories you're burning and the training zones you're getting into. It's an individual thing, and and, and you know we, we see a risk of too much uh, attention to that reducing the, the experience factor that we spend a lot of time trying to create.
0: And that's an, that's an important consideration because you have all these companies that keep coming out with like high tech, this high tech, that, you know, to, to interact with fitness yet in reality, I think you're right. I think a lot of fitness users, a lot of fitness end users get intimidated by that. So I think it's really interesting that you guys are purposely making that shift away from that type mm. of technology. Do you think that technology is a little bit overwhelming? Do you think that pe- – do you think – well, I guess the question would be, do you think technology could be a barrier to, to the reason why people exercise? Uh,
1: well, I'll, I'll ask you this question, which will probably answer it. Do you think that attendance has gone up since people have been monitoring uh, what they do in workouts with uh, tracking devices? Because I, I haven't seen any evidence that it has. Um, we would think that when if, if, if that was a really um, – influential bit of feedback that helps to drive performance and helps to drive people to exercise more, we would have seen an increase. And the amount that people were exercising. But um, I don't think we see that. I I, I think it's a supplement to what people are currently doing, and I think it's great for a group of people who love to monitor that kind of stuff. Um, Personally, I don't monitor my workouts. I I might do it a couple of times to see how it should feel in the top training zones, but then I've I've stopped monitoring. I'm not kind of doing it while I'm working out anymore. Um, And the other thing that I I think that might have created is that every day is change your fitness day. Uh, because you've got to kind of keep beating your old score. Whereas, you know, for me, when I train, like some days it just tick the exercise box day and leave me alone. I don't really feel like it. Um, So so I'd hate to think that that level of monitoring just puts people under more extrinsic pressure to actually perform when really, you know, a lot of those days they they should be actually just taking it easy and, and, and enjoying the experience so that they actually keep the habit going versus being obsessed with results and tracking data.
0: And see, I think that's a good thing for people to hear is you don't need to do to, to work hard. I mean, just kind of keep coming back to that theme. You don't need to work hard, hard with every workout. Now, you guys do use tech in a different way. And that's with your Les Mills at home program. What, what is the Les uh-huh. Mills or what is it? Because um, I would, you know, because we look at tech, you have to include everything. I had this conversation with somebody who said that technically a medicine ball or a dumbbell could be exercise technology because it's just enhancing uh-huh. of what the body could do. So I think one of the things that you guys have done brilliantly is creating your at-home product. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so Les Mills On Demand is a way of um, delivering our uh, class experiences to individuals who aren't at at clubs or at, at facilities. And so you can do all of our workouts At home, you can do them. uh, You can get jump online, subscribe to the workouts, and and do them in the comfort of your own home. Which means that you know, if you're pushed for time, you can kind of bang out a 30-minute CX Works was a program I forgot before. It's our core conditioning program. So you could bang out a 30-minute CX Works program it your, in your own home and work on your core conditioning. You can do body flow at home. Um, and so the way we film our classes now is to kind of have that real connection through the camera so that people really feel that they're getting the right guidance and the right support. Um, and so you can do all of our programs now online. Even if, if you've got a bike at home, you can do RPM, you can do sprint, a um, uh, high-intensity cycling program. And, and I think there's even ways of possibly doing the trip uh, as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. So you're not restricted by having to come to a facility. Um, And we also have virtual programming now as well where clubs will actually put up a screen so that they can run off-peak classes. So so instead of having an instructor, you can come and do one of our workouts on a screen uh, with the same sort of delivery mechanism. And we see all of that as feeding – like actually increasing – The live class attendance, because when people do those workouts, they're still missing out on that group factor. They're still not getting that real social buzz from the exercises. They're getting great exercises, and it's a great training tool. But um, when we've put something like virtual in our clubs in New Zealand, we've seen an increase in live attendance as a result of having the virtual classes on. Because people will come in and they'll try the virtual classes. They're not as intimidated by them. And then they'll actually think, yeah, I kind of like this class. I kind of like this martial arts workout. I'm going to go and kind of find an instructor and and start attending a live class. So there was a a thought for a while that the virtual, the digital delivery could actually reduce the live attendance. But it hasn't happened. It's actually, if anything, it's kind of reinforced the live attendance and help people kind of make that journey into live classes where they kind of get that full group effect and everything that we get from that.
0: Well, you, it's interesting because that that kind of lines up with other conversations I've had that people are supporting that. You know, initially it was thought that okay, we have online stuff that's going to catalyze or that's going to rip into our our programming, but in fact, I think what you're seeing is absolutely that is that people use that as, as an augment. So with with what you guys got coming out, do you I had to ask this question. Obviously, I don't know if you can answer it, sure. but as as forward thinking as Les Mills is, and now that recovery is extremely popular, we're understanding the recovery, the role that recovery plays. Is that something that's on your, I was ask if it's on your radar, would you guys come out, you have your flow class, but would you come out with like a recovery specific? Cause I think that'd be hot to have a formatted 30 minute mobility, whatever it is, tissue treatment. You guys would do it Mm -hmm. right. Is that something that's on your radar or are you still focusing primarily on the exercise component?
1: Uh, It's primarily on the exercise component. To be honest, I see exercise as recovery, and um, and if we look at the stats of the people who are probably exercising to the point where they need to really focus on recovery, that's a you know we're down to less than twenty percent of the adult population. Uh, So that's kind of I'm a little bit skeptical about the the recovery focus. I think. Um, if it's a more holistic type of recovery, people need recovery from life. <laughs> people need recovery from the stress hormones they create during the day, and 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 the pressures that we're under. Um, so, fantastic recovery from that element is great. But you know, my favorite type of recovery from those components in life is moderate to vigorous exercise. You know, that, that's kind of where I get recovery from. So, I guess uh, that's my current thinking around that. I'm really fascinated by these recovery. Uh, clinics and recovery places, but at the moment, as an organization, in terms of group classes, body flow is a fantastic restorative workout, and I think we'll probably stick with that in that space uh, for now.
0: Well, and, and I understand that, and but one reason why I asked that is I knew you guys would have the data on looking into that, because <laughs> I would, yeah. because and I agree, you know, to your point, you have to be training really hard to make recovery a focus, but at the same time, you can make lower-intensity exercise sexier, I guess, by calling it yeah. recovery. And that's, yeah. where, that's where it's like, you we got to take a buzzword, right? That's a lot of what we do in our jobs mm-hmm. is we yeah. got to take the science and try to make the science sound <laughs> sexy. And, right. and if people are, if, if recovery is becoming a trend, then I could yeah. see Les Mills coming out like, a reco- I mean, it's not gonna be anything different. It just is a way to engage people via the trend. Well, what can we expect to see uh, from Les Mills in the, in the coming that you guys could share or that you can share that might be coming out in, in the near future for people who are raving fans?
1: Yeah, it's interesting.
0: We're, we're pretty
1: uh, pretty comfortable with um, where we're at in terms of our adult, educa- adult programs. We've got a really good family of offerings. Um, so without kind of giving away too many secrets, we're pretty comfortable with where we're sitting. There's a couple of maybe niche groups in the adult population that we might start to target. Um, and our kids programming is something that we want to put a lot of influence into as um, because we know that if you get kids active, they're more likely to be active as adults. So um, to me that's a that that's a big focus for us um, and getting our kids programming and the delivery of programming right. And that's not a commercial thing at all. That's actually just something that as an industry, we all should be really looking really hard at because, if we've got kids who are inactive for most of their childhood, it's going to—they're going to have a lot of problems by the time they get to us as an adult. So, I think a lot of us uh, need to be looking into that space and saying, "Look, what is our responsibility here?" There's a lot of learnings that we have from the delivery of programming to adults that we can apply to kids. It's just a, a finding a way that you can package it up to allow it to have impact in that in those age groups um and really that that's vital for us that's that's a huge um uh, that's a huge mission
0: well and i think that's important because you're right you're creating consumers of the future i mean look at what disney does i mean you take that disney model and they get you from when you're three months old all the way to the ready to shove you off a a cruise ship you know right because they keep you they engage you I, i recently went on a disney cruise and it was just fascinating to watch that on the cruise you would have three or four generations of a family, you know, you'd have the youngest babies and you'd have the great great grandparents or whatever. And it was kind of but you see that life cycle. And so I think it's brilliant that you guys are like, hey, we have an issue. We need to get kids active. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it from you, but at the same time, you're creating long-term people who are gonna stay engaged with your brand for years, which I think is critical. Where should somebody, if I'm brand new to fitness or if I'm thinking about getting started again, which Les Mills program would you recommend? Which would be your kind of you're, you're suggested if I'm the next three months, if I'm getting off the couch and getting back into fitness, where should I start? Which Les Mills program should I start with?
1: I think the first thing I would say is that you, could, you, you, you pick something that you think you'll enjoy. And, and maybe that's because you're going to enjoy it or you're going to enjoy the person you're going to go with because they're enjoying it and you kind of slowly get caught up in it. Um, so uh, I think body pumps are a fantastic way for people to get resistance training in their life if they're not really into pin-loaded machines and kind of the traditional resistance training model. I think So I, I think body pumps are a fantastic way of getting sort of muscle development, strength, and tone. Um, and I think we've got a whole raft – of moderate to vigorous cardio workouts that you can adapt easily to different levels of fitness ranging from the more conventional aerobics models to um, the cycling workouts and just pick what you're into if you like martial arts go and do body combat take it really easy we have this thing now called smart start where people can leave halfway through the workout we used to kind of you know in that group fitness world we used to expect everyone to stay and the instructor would scream at people if they left early because they took it personally but now we with our instructors we say look you know if someone's new you wouldn't allow them to kind of come into their first workout and get on the treadmill for 55 minutes so why would we expect them to stay in a, a group fitness class for 55 minutes you can leave as soon as you like you can take the options you can kind of just tailor it to your own ability so um, I just think we've got so many options that when you put your training program together you um, you just kind of select the ones you think you're going to enjoy and the ones that kind of suit you at that time. And then just try and get in there twice a week. Try and do something that you're kind of going to want to come back and do it again uh, and, and get that initial twice a week going. Then aim for three times a week because we know 150 minutes a week of vigorous exercise is what starts to generate health-related change. So that's really in terms of health, that's our big milestone that we should be all kind of – Encouraging people to get towards, forget about body composition for a while. Don't even kind of factor that in. That's going to happen way down the track. Just get the habit going. And once you've got the habit going with something you enjoy and something that's kind of creating the changes you're after. Then you're hooked. Then you end up like you and I.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's well, – what, they have careers in this industry? Or, <laughs> yeah, 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 but, yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's all about changing patterns and behaviors. That's great insight. Now, I, I really appreciate your time, Bryce, and I really appreciate you. It was a little bit of a mess trying to schedule. I made a – for listeners, I fouled up on uh, our time zone difference, and I apologize. Now, to close out, what's been the biggest culture shock? You're a Kiwi. You're from New Zealand. We've, right. We talked about this in one conversation we had previously. What's the biggest culture shock? Between living in, in the Commonwealth, living living uh, on the other side of the world, and being here in the states,
1: actually, I'll flip it. I, the biggest culture shock is how impressed I am with the level of positivity and optimism of people in the U.S. I just love it. I think you guys have like this kind of just approach to life that is so infectious and so uh, it just generates an energy. Um, I hope I don't upset anybody from the Commonwealth or sort of, you know, from other ancestries here. But we tend to take quite a dour view on life, <laughs> um, you know, and and we get a bit cynical and stuff. And I just love the optimism here. I, I, it's it's really easy to get caught up in. So I've loved it. It's been actually a really e- easy transition. Chicago is a great city. Loving living here.
0: And, and it's funny you would say that because I always look at in in you know, listeners know I, I play rugby and and all my mates from you know all my Kiwi mates from rugby I always look at them as very low key, like kind of like Oh you know kind of a little bit different than the states because you talk to a Kiwi before a rugby match like, oh yeah, we'll give it a go. We'll give it a roller run out there. You know, they're yeah. not—they're not really too. You talk to an American, Americans like getting all amped up, and yeah, we're to go kill. We got to go. And you talk to a Kiwi, Kiwi's like just, yeah, I'll give it a run. I'll give it a go. Usually they're, they're smoking a sick. No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, but right. That's yeah, old yeah. school. That's that's old school. Uh, old school yeah. rugby club days yeah. is, is you get the folks out there smoking a cigarette. Yeah, we'll give it a run, and you get the Americans yeah, right. all getting over pumped, over anxious on that. Well, Bryce, I'm gonna yeah. have all the information for Les Mills down below. It really, um, I do I do apologize about some of the confusion. But mate, no I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate yeah. what you're doing. And I learned, I, I honestly learned a heck of a lot more about Les Mills. I, I, I generally, even though I might have a little bit of a bias being a freestyle instructor, I <laughs> generally appreciate the, what you guys, the research and the quantitative data that you guys bring to the industry because you guys are making a tremendous difference. So I appreciate your time and thank you.
1: Thanks for having me, Pete. It's been a lot of fun.
0: As I mentioned in the introduction, I like it when I'm wrong. Well, not necessarily like it when I'm wrong, but I like it when I hear something new that challenges the way I normally think. You know, there's nothing wrong with changing your thought process. There's nothing wrong with changing an idea. And and the conversation with Bryce helped me do that. Now, let me clarify that I've been an instructor for a long, long time, for almost 20 years. I've designed my own classes. I, I developed my own classes. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes people love the class. Sometimes I get some very direct feedback that it could have been better, which is fine. What Les Mills does is Les Mills gives you a play to execute. You know, it gives you a sheet of music to play from. What I do, what instructors like me do, is we kind of create our own stuff or we follow a format with some guidelines and we kind of create our own workout based on that that format, based on those guidelines. But what Les Mills does is he says, you will teach it this way. Teach it A, B, C, D, E, all the way down to Z and do not deviate. Now, what that does is, number one, it allows the instructor... To focus on delivery, the instructor is not worried about. Okay, am I doing this here? Am I doing that there? What's going to? No, the instructor knows what they're doing. There's executing on the delivery, where that works. And I've seen a couple of my students. I, I teach in a community college program. I've seen some of my students go through Les Mills, and what I like about them is they teach people how to be an instructor. If you want to get up in front of a group room full of people, <laughs> if you want to get in front of a room full of had naked people and make them sweaty, that's what I say I do. Well, you, you've heard me talk about that maybe before with other instructors. But as a fitness instructor, your job is to make half-naked people sweaty. If you want to get good at that, Les Mills is a perfect place to start. They will teach you how to teach their formats. And if you want to be able to teach a format, you have to send in video of you teaching the exact way they want you to teach. Or else, guess what? You don't get cleared to teach that format. You don't get their credential to teach for Les Mills. You don't. What that's good is it teaches people. I've seen students of mine become great instructors because they learn how to be good in front of an audience. Being a good instructor is about engagement. You heard Bryce talk about that quite a bit. It's not just about making people sweaty. It's about creating that experience. It's about walking out of the gym feeling good, not feeling like you've been thrashed. I mean, that's important or if you want to feel that way, but you want to feel like you had a positive experience. And that's one thing that, that Bryce helped me change my mind a little bit about is Les Mills wants to understand the data. Les Mills wants to understand the business of group fitness so that every one of their classes creates that positive experience. Now, for years, group fitness has kind of been that red headed stepchild. If you have a good group fitness... Pro- if you have a good group fitness program director, then they know how to organize the classes. They know how to have different classes at different times, on different days, different levels of intensity... They do it automatically. They structure it. What Les Mills does is they give companies, they give health club companies a system to follow, a system to apply. Because I'm sure you know, you've probably been a member of a health club where the group X director is, a, is primarily the star of the show. That's been the way that things have always been done. You have one instructor, male or female, who's the absolute star. And so what happens? They become the group fitness manager. What happens from there? They get all the prime time spots. They get the most popular times. Everybody else, all the other instructors kind of get the crumbs. What Les Mills does is it gives studio owners, it gives club operators a system to apply. It allows them to measure the results. A lot of health club operators will look at group fitness and see that it's an expense. Well, we got to pay these instructors. What are we getting out of it? One instructor can work with 20 to 50 people at a time. That's much more than a treadmill. Let's just do quick economics. Say you're paying an instructor $30 a class. That's about median in the United States. If an instructor is teaching two classes a week, that's $60 a week. Times 50 weeks, that's $3,000 a year. $3,000 a year for one instructor to teach two classes a week. If that instructor gets 30 to 40 people per class, which depending on the size of the facility could be an average, that instructor could be touching 60 to 80 people a week in that facility. Over the course of the year, that instructor can touch and interact with, become friends with, connect with. So many people at that facility, that creates a sense of community for $3,000. New treadmills cost somewhere between eight and $12,000. Only one person at a time can use a treadmill. Yes, we may, you, know, you may develop an emotional attachment to a piece of equipment, but that piece of equipment is not going to high-five you, give you knuckles, ask you about your kid, ask you about your birthday. So you have to look at the economics of it. It is better to invest in your staff. It's better to invest in an instructor than just an innate piece of equipment or an inanimate. I meant to say inanimate piece of equipment. The instructors, the staff of a fitness facility create the experience. You know, I know that if you're into fitness at all, because I've done this many times, you walk into a facility and you're like, oh my God, (laughs) it feels like negative energy in here. Because if if, if the staff isn't bought in, if the staff isn't happy... It's going to kill the entire show. That health club would be out of business, if not months, then a year or two. By investing in your staff, by giving your staff a system to apply, that's what Les Mills does. It gives them a system to apply. It, implement this. We'll measure it. We'll show you the results. We'll teach you how to manage it. And I didn't know this. I'm going to be going through the Les Mills research because I want to check out some of their studies. The fact that are working with Penn State, and for listeners, you might not know this, but Penn State has one of the top exercise science schools in the country. They really do. So if they're using the Penn State lab, they're getting some of the best researchers studying what they're doing and understanding how your body, how the physiology is going to respond. And what I liked about what he said about tech is that tech creates a barrier. If you're 30 people in in a room full of other, if you're one of 30 in a room full of people exercising, you don't want to sit there and fiddle with a watch or fiddle with a monitor. You just want to have fun. So I like that concept of, hey, we're about the experience. We're not about the tech. That's really cool. Now, I'm still going to stay with my freestyle. It doesn't mean I'm going to become a Les Mills instructor anytime soon. Sorry, Bryce. Sorry, Les Mills. But I have a lot of respect for what Les Mills does, and I have a lot of respect that they bring consistency. They bring a positive experience to a corner of the the fitness industry. They create consistency and bring a positive experience to group fitness, which is an area the industry is often overlooked. So Les Mills, for Bryce, for everybody – Thank you very much for what you're doing. I appreciate it. For listeners, hopefully this gives you a little bit of an idea. Some of you may take Les Mills programs quite a bit and like them. Other of you may not care. You may go to a CX Works class one day. You may just go to a regular core training class another day. You may take a grit class one time. You may take a high-intensity interval training. You may not really recognize the difference, but trust me, there is a difference. And I respect that difference. doesn't mean that I'm going to do it, but I respect it. And I appreciate the fact that Bryce challenged my way of thinking and help open my mind a little bit. So thank you for that. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of All About Fitness. If you have any comments, feedback, any questions at all, reach out to me, Pete at Pete McCallFitness.com. That's Pete at Pete McCallFitness.com. You can tweet me, Pete MC underscore fitness. That's PeteMC underscore fitness. Or you can Instagram me, and thanks for tuning in on Instagram. Instagram is Pete McCall underscore fitness. Now, my book is coming out, Smarter Workouts. I'm going to have a tag below. I'm really excited to announce that I've, I've agreed to keep writing for 24 Life. 24 Life is the online magazine for 24 Hour Fitness. I'm working with a couple other comp- companies about producing content for them in the coming year or two. So I'm really excited about that. If you want to find out what I'm writing, what I'm working on, you know how to use Google. A couple quick searches, Pete McCall, Pete McCall Fitness, and you'll find out what I'm doing to help you live a better life through exercise. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.